Good morning. The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for saving me. What can I say? You are my everything. I will sing your praise. You shed your blood for me. What My sin and shame, a sinner's call by name.
morning. We've been working through the series that we've called The Living Word. The main idea of the series is that Jesus is the center of our faith. Rather than, even if they're important, any thoughts or actions on our part, who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is doing. That's why we've called each sermon by a particular name, uh, and each one having a common kind of sound, Jesus teaching, Jesus healing, Jesus loving, Jesus serving, Jesus dying, and today Jesus saving. The term Jesus saves has entered our culture to such an extent that it's lost much of its meaning, or it's picked up ironic meanings. I brought a box full of things here to show you. Ken Bell, minister at St. Timothy's, has a piggy bank in his office. That's it. It says Jesus saves on it. So you can get that kind of thing. When I used to coach hockey, uh, someone connected with the team who uh, isn't a churchgoer but knew I was a minister and such and thought they found the perfect shirt for me. This is it. It's Jesus as a goalie. And it says, Jesus saves. I've only worn it a few times, actually. But he is making a fantastic save. No helmet or mask or anything. But uh, Jesus saves, or the old question. Some of you have spoken like this or heard this kind of language. Are you saved? You ever asked anybody that? I don't know how people would respond these days if we asked that. What are you talking about? Or when did you get saved? Now, if you come up, if you grew up in a certain church background, you learn how to answer those questions. I was helped by my time at the Presbyterian Church because uh, uh, the, the answer to when did you get saved was uh, corrected a little bit or expanded a little bit there for me, because growing up in in more classical, you know, Baptist or Mennonite, um, you'd say more classical evangelical setting. If somebody said, when did you get saved? I would say, well, I was a teenager and I prayed this prayer at my dad's house. And that's, that's the answer, right? But being from more the Reformed background, Presbyterian background in faith, I was reminded that there's another correct answer to that. When did you get saved? I was saved when Jesus Christ showed the full extent of his love and laid down his life on the cross. Just I didn't really know about it until I was a teenager to respond 
A few months ago, a friend of mine, uh, the Reverend Dr. Jason Biasi, I'm going to see him tomorrow. I'm just going to call him Jason. He preached here on this passage, and it was a very good sermon. So if you want to hear a good sermon on the Zacchaeus passage, you can look that up online. I'm going to give a sermon as well. You can determine what it's like. Because I come to this text this morning with this in mind, Jesus saving, with this one question. What does it mean that Jesus saves? What do we mean when we say Jesus saving? And the story of Zacchaeus gives some answers to that question. Firstly, the story of Zacchaeus will show us the need for salvation. So this, for those who grew up in Brethren Church, like this church, or a Baptist church, or Pentecostal church, Alliance church, this is what's stressed, right? The need for personal salvation. Have you prayed the prayer to accept Jesus Christ into your heart? What are some of the things that we're told about Zacchaeus? First, we're told that he's a tax collector. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know that tax collector equals what? Not good. Bad. Traitor, collaborator. He was someone who was one of the people. He was Jewish, like the people who would, most of the people who would be listening to Jesus. But he was a traitor because he was working on behalf of the occupying Romans. We're also told that he was rich. Now, if you know that he's a tax collector and he's rich, then you can make the quick and safe assumption to say he would be thought of by most people as someone who is bad, not good. Jason used the language to say he would be frozen out of the company. He was shamed. But we're also told with Zacchaeus in this really brief story, but it's a great story, we're told that he is seeking. Here's where we get to this need for personal salvation. He has come to see. He is scrambling to hear Jesus. And yes, we're told that he's short of stature. Now, the language used there actually isn't language that just would refer to his height, but we get a little bit of that from the fact that he climbed a tree. So short of stature is not just that he was short physically, but that he was somehow looked down upon by people. But it seems that he must have been short physically as well because he climbs a tree so that he can see past the crowds as he's run ahead so that he can see Jesus. I, like, I didn't see the sermon, but I did listen to Jason's sermon. And I gather from his sermon, if you were here in the summer, he put some images on the screen of Zacchaeus up a tree from different cultures and showed that there really is no way to draw or paint or depict a picture of an adult in a tree that doesn't look ridiculous. Climbing trees is for children. But apparently Zacchaeus didn't care enough about how he looked to stop seeking. We cannot be fully sure that he knew just what it was that he was seeking, but he thought that Jesus Christ might offer something. It would open his eyes. So you ask, what was he compelled to seek? And we make the transition to say that any need that we feel today for salvation can have a similar reflection to this Zacchaeus, his willingness to look foolish. It, I mean, I don't have to jump that far to say that for in this culture, it's not, you know, looked at with admiration. Well, I think it's changing a little bit, though, as we're in more of a post-Christian, post-religious culture. But it's not necessarily, you're not necessarily thought of like really smart or intellectually advanced if you say I'm a Christian. We're so pulled to portray ourselves in this world, Christian or not, 
we're pulled to portray that we are in some ways making it. That we're doing, just like you answered people when they say, how are you? I'm doing fine or quite well. Now, the last thing we need to do is to be like totally, completely open with everybody who asks us that question. They just stop asking. But this is the drive in our culture, to be doing okay, to be making it. And it is somehow a little bit of foolishness, or it looks a little bit foolish, to climb up a tree to seek. To admit in front of other people, I need something more. To know peace. To know purpose and meaning. Zacchaeus thought that he could find this in Jesus Christ. And perhaps I need to say, and perhaps you need to say as well, I need saving. This is the first step towards faith in Jesus Christ. It's the first step for Zacchaeus. I mean, there actually, there were probably preambles to this, but in this story, the first step is the seeking. I need saving. This is something that if you've never said it, as you look to Jesus Christ, we welcome you to. But it's something for those of us who are Christian and have accepted Christ maybe even years ago that we continually need to say, I need saving. I need to be saved. Or simply, I'm seeking something more, more than what I have. Life as I have known it and as I have lived it has left me longing for something more and higher and better and ultimately meaningful for fullness and peace and maybe even for love and joy. For me, I told you a couple of weeks ago, and I've repeated it in my own prayers and as I've worked on sermons, for me it's saying, I am lost without the love of Jesus Christ. That's like saying, I need saving. I'm like Zacchaeus in that tree, willing to be foolish. But there's a freedom in that too, even as I present you the invitation the Christian way of saying this is that there, there is a need for personal salvation for each of us. Keith prayed it, that we would be saved from sin, that we would be saved from idolatry, that we would be saved from meaninglessness. You, I don't have to draw for you, I don't think, how so many things that are offered in this world in our lives, they ultimately lead to not much at all or to nothing. I need salvation. It would have been possible for Zacchaeus to just continue on in life. In fact, he was doing quite a bit better than most other people. He was rich after all. And by the standards of our day, if you're rich, you're fine. I mean, that's what you think about other people. You look around this room and you think, well, they've got more money than me. They must be doing okay. And then you make all kinds of assumptions about them. They must be down relatively happy, whatever else it is. Zacchaeus was rich, but he was still seeking. Would you pray we would invite you to pray. You can pray it even during a sermon. Lord Jesus Christ, I put my trust in you. I need to be saved. I think part of the problem at times is that the Christian church, especially in the last 50 or 100 years, has presented salvation almost as a threat. You better pray this or else. Can you feel and know that it's different than that and more than that? I need to be saved to know fullness of life. Lord Jesus Christ, would you save me? You pray that prayer. You'll come to know Jesus Christ.
Secondly, Jesus' saving is more than simply personal salvation. Now, this is something that you have not heard a ton about in your standard evangelical churches because the focus really is personal salvation and then hopefully some kind of discipleship afterwards, right? Here's what it means to follow Christ. That's true. It's just not all there is to it. There's more to salvation in Scripture than just you saying, Lord Jesus Christ, would you save me? Now, if, if it's presented that that's all there is to salvation, then you start to kind of judge the world in that way. This is what it means to be saved. So some people are saved and some people are not. And then you say something to somebody in the grocery store, are you saved? No, I don't know many people here who do that, but, you know, it does happen. Did you ask him if he's saved? I don't know what you're talking about. But that comes from this idea that some are in and some are out, right? Scripture teaches something much bigger than that. In the story, Jesus addresses Zacchaeus. Now, if you climbed a tree as an adult, as a short adult, perhaps with a crowd of people around you, perhaps you would not want to be called out. I mean, I guess you're setting yourself up for it. But Zacchaeus climbs this tree, and then Jesus, seeing him, says, Zacchaeus! Right away, everybody turns and looks. Right? And they do just what you would do. They start making judgments. That's what you do. You see somebody, you start making judgments. And they, and they can do it quickly for Zacchaeus because they know just how bad he is. And they start to wonder already, what on earth is Jesus doing talking to Zacchaeus? And now you can imagine what kind of assumptions they would make, right? He's going to set him straight. Have you ever felt that in your Christian faith? Think of somebody in your life who you know needs to come to Christ or needs to change the way they're living or they have some terrible sin. And now imagine God saying their name, Zacchaeus. Now what's the next thing he's going to say? You better straighten yourself out. That's what you want. To some degree. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm going to go spend some time with you at your place. The question here is, who is Zacchaeus to the crowd? Zacchaeus, as we have said, has been defined in a few ways. There aren't that many ways in which he's defined, but they are strong. He's a tax collector. He's Jewish, but he's maybe worse than the Roman occupiers because he helps them. He gathers taxes for them, and he likely likely keeps some for himself. That's how he becomes rich, is what the people would assume. It's like Jesus has found the one guy that everybody else hates and says, I want to spend time with you. Now, how would you feel about Jesus in that regard? You might console yourself by saying, well, when he goes to his house, he's going to tell him how bad he is. He's going to tell Zacchaeus, you've got to straighten up. The question is, who is Zacchaeus? This is a very important question in evangelism. The question is, who is Zacchaeus to Jesus? That's when you start to understand how big salvation is. Because to Jesus, Zacchaeus is not as he is to the crowd. He is one who is befriended. He is one who is loved. Jesus sees differently. The world divides. This person is like this, and this person is like this. A good one, a bad one, and Zacchaeus is a bad one. And Jesus sees differently and addresses Zacchaeus differently than anyone else would have. Zacchaeus is one to whom Jesus brings salvation. Zacchaeus 
He sees his seeking. And Zacchaeus is in this story transfigured by Jesus. The crowd does what crowds do. And I think I say it almost every week, but one of the things I know about you is that you know pretty much what everybody else in the world needs. It's an overstatement, but we all do that as people. We know just what people in our families need to do to change. We know just what people, you know what I mean? And this crowd knows what Zacchaeus needs. And they grumble. Verse 7. When Jesus calls Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to go to your house, the crowd grumbles and says, or I like the translation that Jill read for us, because she said it so beautifully, didn't, didn't she? Because it says the word mutter. Mutter, grumble, same kind of feeling. It's a feeling word. The crowd's just like, <clears throat> they're upset at Jesus. Because Jesus addresses Zacchaeus not as the bad one, but as the one who God intends him to be. Jesus addresses Zacchaeus as who he is in salvation. Salvation is more than just personal. It's something that is for the world. And as you look to other people who you pray for, and I hope you do pray for people to come to know Jesus Christ, you can't simply look and say, well, they're terrible sinners and they need Jesus. You have to look to Jesus Christ and understand his salvation is something that is offered to the whole world. Finally, salvation is recover, recovery of identity for the healing of the world. Zacchaeus speaks to Jesus. Being with Jesus seems to bring out this desire to be good. Um, it, this used to happen a lot more for ministers, pastors like me. It still does sometimes. It tends to happen more in non-Christian circles. Um, so one of my, uh, someone who's become a good friend who lives not far from here, who I know, knew through our kids' uh, sports. I've told you this story before, but the first time he met me, he like works at the docks, and uh, you know, and the first time we met, his language was quite flowery, and and uh, he was telling some fantastic stories. We were just at somebody else's house on a social occasion, and then somebody else said, "Oh, have you met Todd?" He said, "No, I'm just talking to him here." He's like, "Yeah, he's a minister," and the guy's face just turned red and turned. Now he seems to just love still talking like that, but counting me as a friend, and he is a wonderful, wonderful man. So Zacchaeus does this thing that people can do in the presence of somebody who's supposed to be have a certain office or position. He knows that Jesus Christ is supposed to be, you know, representing God. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. He's, he's known that he's teaching. That's why he's following him, seeking him. So he starts to confess right away, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I restore it four times over. Often when this text is preached, that, that verse is presented as something that Zacchaeus says he will do in reaction to Jesus. The, the language isn't clear there. It seems to be presenting it. I think Jason mentioned this. It seems to be presenting it as something that Zacchaeus says, I'm already like this. This is what I do. Jesus' response teaches us about the recovery of identity and salvation. He says, today salvation has come to this house since this man is also a son of Abraham. Jesus was rather provocative in how he talked in crowds. And anybody else that's around that's hearing this and listening to this, Jesus is saying he is not outside of salvation. He's one of you. The main problem of the grumblers 
is that they see themselves as children of Abraham. And Zacchaeus, though he's Jewish, has forsaken this identity by collaborating with the Romans. He's outside. Jesus' salvation restores us to who we are, reminds us who we are. Jesus' saving is that the cross allows us to be who God made us to be. Jesus transfigures Zacchaeus on his way to transfiguring the world. Jesus transfigures you on his way to transfiguring the world. Salvation is that he saves me from my sins. Yes. But that's not all of it. And it's not enough to live a life of worship. To just know Jesus has saved you from your sins. Jesus' saving, his salvation, is the process for the healing of the world. That's a mistake you've made in your faith, is that you have, you know, you've made your faith very small, something that you just hold, or somebody, you know, in, in your church or in this group of Christians. And so the message becomes inadvertently, I think, hopeless instead of hopeful. Everything's just going nowhere. Salvation spoken about in Scripture is the process of the healing of the world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus' saving in the cross and in resurrection is that God has suddenly and dramatically put into operation this rescue for the world. The gospel is a message of hope. The personal meaning, personal salvation, is not left behind, but it's contained within a larger story. Jesus is saving. Now think of the world. Jesus is saving. Jesus is saving. Do you believe that? Does your faith open you up to be more expansive in how you consider this world, or does it focus you to be more narrow? For me and for my faith, I say, and I say it boldly. I mean, it doesn't feel arrogant or anything, because my trust is in him. For me and my faith, I say, my salvation is in him. I am lost without the love of Jesus Christ, and he saves me from my sins and I want to be a disciple, and I want to follow him, and I see that he is saving the restoration of all things. All things in Jesus Christ will be made new. Colossians puts it this way, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus saving as we seek to grow in outreach and we need to grow in how we witness in this faith and share our faith. We need to be formed more and more as a witnessing community. Our salvation is personal, but it is always more than that as well. This salvation is to be a blessing, not a curse. Salvation is the restoration of all things and the healing of the world. So I opened up with an object lesson, so I'll close with one as well. We're all going to go down for lunch. I think it's soup, isn't it? Who knows, because they're down there making it, right? The, the people responsible for the meal are not in this room. But if you've been at Sutherland for any amount of time, you recognize these plates, right? I mean, there's nothing much to them. But they serve their purpose. Actually, they're quite strong. When I was trying to smash some earlier this week, Ken and I, they were very difficult to smash, even with a hammer. Um, 
I'll explain later, Mark, but anyway. Um, so that's a plate as it should be to serve its purpose, right? Now this plate, we eventually did get it smashed. This plate is broken. What good is it? Not much. Pretty much as soon as I'm done this object lesson, I'll probably throw this out. Unless you recite, sorry, oh man, forget the world in which we live. This will be turned into something else lovely. Um, but right now it's pretty useless. Just good to be thrown away. It's broken. I, I know what I'm about to show you, but I, it's more prayerful than anything. I trust in the salvation of Jesus Christ in my life and for this world. And I want to tell you, when you know the salvation of Jesus Christ, when you've even tasted the smallest bit of it, you have hope, not despair. Because you know that he takes broken things and makes them better than they ever were before. So Ken showed me, because he's doing a similar series, and he's a crafty person, and I would never have even known that this type of thing exists. We had to go to Michael's. You ever go to Michael's, the craft store? It's like a foreign land to me. I stood there. I didn't know what to do. Ken seemed right at home. Anyway. He told me about this. It's an art form, particularly Japanese art form, where a broken dish is taken and then put back together um, and then gold leaf paint painted over the cracks. Can you see it? And you can look it up online. If you look that word up, you can see many beautiful pieces of art. They're not just beautiful. They're evocative. That's Good art is like that. Because when you see it, you don't just think of, oh, that looks nice. You think, maybe broken things can be more beautiful than the original. So we just did it with a Sutherland plate. We smashed a few. This is probably toxic, so you won't eat off it. Actually, you know what? It's not so toxic that we couldn't serve communion off it maybe next Sunday. Jesus, the salvation in Jesus Christ. Do you understand this is hopeful? Wherever you go, wherever you are this week, you go and visit somebody in the hospital, you're going to work, you're going to school, wherever it is. Would you have in your mind that Jesus Christ is saving? Taking the broken things and making them more beautiful than they ever were before. This is our hopeful message for this world. Would you turn to Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him? So I respond, I am lost without the love of Jesus Christ. That's what I see, what I see, these broken things made whole again and better. And I say I want to know personally what salvation in Jesus Christ means. And then I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, show me what it means that you are restoring all things. So I'll pray, and I'll pray um, a prayer of response. 
And we want to remind you again that during the last couple of songs, you're welcome to, you can sing or you can prayerfully consider uh, what you've heard in this service or you can go to the back and receive prayer. We want to pray um, today through some of the requests that we have. I think I put a few on your bulletin. Daniel Berge is back home, uh, which is a praise item for sure. Uh, but he's still really recovering. Karina, any particular way you could, would like us to pray for Daniel or for you? Don't break that other one. Anyway. Hello. Thank you so much, Todd, that I quickly can give you an update. I would like to put the verse in front of everything I say. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That was one of the verses which uh, carried us through the time when Daniel was in the hospital. And it's with great gratitude and gratefulness that uh, I can tell you that he is home. Um, it was a close call. Thank you, Richard. Yep. It was a close call, and um, we are sure grateful for a new life given to Daniel. And we are curious to see um, what comes out of it. He's recovering at home. He is very weak, still has a lot of headaches, um, sleepless nights, not so good in terms of just running to the washroom and back and just being exhausted. He has this Japanese encephalitis, or encephalitis as you pronounce it here, which is an inflammation of the brain, which causes this um, headaches. And also um, he has a hepatitis E, which is common for Nepal. We still are waiting for the main uh, culprit, whether it's dengue fever or whether it's a typhus, we don't know. Uh, Daniel has a doctor's appointment on Wednesday with the uh, deceased doctor, Dr. Douglas, but also has an appointment with Dr. Lau. He is the heart specialist. Because what made it so um, dangerous was that his heart gave in, and um, they had to zap him to make sure that he goes on. So his heartbeat is still an irregular, and he's in a so-called AFib, which I'm told is not normal for young people, which I still are, and Daniel too. <laughs> and so we are still, well, we are praying and we are hopeful that this heartbeat will regulate itself. But if not, we'll have to see what's, um, what's up for him. He wishes to thank you all for the prayers, for the emails, for the texts, for just every kind thought and prayer which was sent um, towards God and towards him. And um, he would have loved to be here, but no way. Thank you so much also for everybody who brought us in food. I don't even know who it was most of the time because they just left it in the carport and if you brought something in a tray, which is yours, I brought all the trays back out there. Just take it. And thank you so, so much. Thank you. Let's pray for the Berge family. And uh, have some other uh, requests, prayer requests on your bulletin as well. Won't necessarily name them all, um, but uh, I'll leave room as, as I uh, lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Berge family, the blessing that they are, and the witness to your love. And we pray that you would be close to them now, and we pray for Daniel's full, complete, total healing. We thank you that he made it through that time in the hospital. Um, I just know when I saw him, he didn't even look like himself. And we can say you have been good to them, but we need more goodness. We need more healing. We would pray for Karina that you would sustain her at this time, even as I think she was supposed to be away right now and remains behind to care for Daniel. We pray for Andy and Steffi as well. Uh, speak along with me as I speak the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God of all creation, full of love and abounding in mercy, may the whole earth be filled with your glory. Bless your church. Clothe us in righteousness and grant us life and wisdom. Direct the leaders of our government that they may act in accordance with your kingdom. Enlarge our own hearts, O Lord, to love the things that you love. May we proclaim your light in every place where there is darkness. May we proclaim your holy name in every aspect of our lives. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. For only in you can we live in safety. We pray for those in sickness, grief, persecution, bondage, fear, or loneliness. Lord, have mercy. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and love, and that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray your blessing on the offering as it is taken and received. We want to give as an act of worship to you. We pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.